Hello out there, everybody in listening land. Do they still use that term anymore? I'm not sure. And welcome or welcome back to the Yearbooking Report podcast. If this is your first go-round, you lucky person. I'm Scott Geezy. I'm a 21-year representative of Jostin's Yearbooks. As you can tell, I like to have fun. Also a former broadcaster and journalist, actually almost for four decades now. And when it comes to the yearbook world, it's all about telling stories for me. That's what I've enjoyed doing since, literally since I was a senior in high school. All through college and afterwards in journalism and broadcasting and now the last two decades in the Justin's yearbook world. So welcome. Hopefully you get some great ideas. I know you will from this particular episode. Now it depends maybe on when you're listening. Some folks may be listening to this before Christmas break. Some folks may be after Christmas. And so for some people, maybe we're talking about using an existing certain item. For some other folks, they probably got a brand new one on Christmas. We're talking about a smartphone or maybe a tablet like an iPad and so on. We've got all these great new gadgets and gizmos these days. I tell kids frequently, guys, you have no idea how lucky you have it with all these rather amazing devices you get to use. For those of us old enough to remember the old days of yearbook, that's back when we were still using pencils and rulers and uh, grid paper and that sort of thing, waxers and all that sort of stuff. The way to make a yearbook today is so simple compared to the old days. And now we have these amazing smartphones and tablet devices that we can use for, well, any number of things, really. But it's been my experience over the last two decades, and especially, I'll say, over the last 10 years, maybe, that while a lot of folks have a mobile device, they have an iPhone, a Samsung phone, some other kind of phone, or they have an iPad and so on, they really don't know what to do with it when it comes to our yearbook work. And you have this amazing tool in your hands and we need to find a way to put it to work. So recently I had a chance to catch up with a friend of mine. His name is John Beal. John is an associate professor at Penn State University in their College of Communications. And he actually teaches a course on using smartphones as part of our journalism efforts. Now, of course, he doesn't deal just with your book, also with newspaper and broadcast websites and so on. He teaches a course just on this subject. And so we were able to catch up with him recently because I thought, John, you've got to share some ideas. What are you teaching your students to help them improve their efforts in using a mobile device with, in this particular case, your book work? And luckily, we were able to get together recently, and he was able to share some great advice and a long list of tips. So if you've got a pad and paper ready to go or a pen, uh, get ready. You're going to be taking some notes here. Now, in this opening segment, we meet John. He introduces himself, talks about his decades of experience as a photojournalist, and maybe in some respects how things have kind of changed or not over the last number of years. So let's meet John. John, first off, I appreciate you taking time. Now, this is a bit of an odd interview because as we are recording this interview in November, both John and I are attending the JEA Fall Convention in Washington, D.C. We are away from the exhibit area, which is loud, blaring music. We're here, we actually somehow discovered a very quiet room, and uh, we're gonna have a, an interesting talk primarily about using smartphones for photography, which frankly, nearly every yearbook staff out there does that now. So, John, first off, I appreciate you taking time. Thank you for joining me. 
Uh, let's start with some background. Um, we'll call this a free plug alert because you and I have known each other for a number of years and you work at Penn State University. I live near Penn State University, so there we go. So let's get some background here. Tell us about yourself, your background in journalism, what you do at Penn State, and so on. Well, I got my start in, uh, in photojournalism in a high school uh, journalism class. And the uh, teacher came into the classroom and said, if we're going to uh, put out a student newspaper, we're going to need an editor, we're going to need a photographer, and we're going to need a bunch of reporters. And I knew that my cousin wanted to be the editor, and I didn't think I was editor material. I really hadn't picked up a camera much, but uh, I always thought it would be fun, so I raised my hand, and uh, I've been a photographer ever since. Uh, I went to uh, college, I got a journalism degree. I graduated, worked for a couple of smaller papers, eventually landed at the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette in Pittsburgh where after a couple years I was named chief photographer. I was there for uh, 22 years and uh, also started doing some freelancing for some uh, regional and, and national publications. Uh, ended up uh, being invited to come to Penn State to teach for a semester and was eventually hired. I've been there, uh, I'm in my 14th year. Wow, okay. It's kind of interesting. How do you go from being a professional in your case, professional photographer, to being a college instructor. I mean, is that is that quite a, a range, or, or do those two really go together? I mean, was it easy for you to transition? I think for a skills course, uh, it's easy because, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to, to be able to go out and cover a lot of stories. Uh, I've had a number of experiences that I can share with the students, and uh, I really, I. I don't consider myself to be a teacher. I consider myself to be a professional who is there working alongside the students. And, and uh, I try to bring my experience to the classroom and, and just kind of coach them along as opposed to uh, you know, order, ordering them what they need to do uh, you know, for a particular assignment. All right, now a personal thing. Let me add, how long have you, from what period were you at Penn State? From now until, like when did you start? I came to Penn State in, uh, in 2006. Originally, I was a, a, uh, invited to come to Penn State as a professional in residence in 2001, fall 2001, and, uh, and then went back to the newspaper and worked for, uh, I guess it would have been uh, four or five years. Uh, I taught at uh, Point Park University in, in Pittsburgh uh, during that time and uh, was invited back and uh, I've really enjoyed my experience there. All right, again, free plug alert. This is the Belisario College of Communications. I can't recall how long. Now, if you don't know Belisario, that's Donald Belisario. First, who was he? Who was Donald Belisario? Uh, Don, uh, Donald uh, Belisario is a uh, Hollywood producer, and he's, um, he's a, a great friend of the, uh, of the College of Communications. Uh, he made a very generous donation to the... Uh, uh, to the university, and uh, the university is in the process of uh, redoing a building that will become the uh, Donald Belisario Media Media Center, and we're looking forward to that uh, that opening. Do you recall when this happened? When he gave money, and when the name Belisario and so on? I believe the the formal change of name was two years ago. Uh, I. That's a, that's oh, that's that that soon? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or, yeah, I, I believe it was I believe it was two years ago, but that's that's something that I uh, I certainly wouldn't want to put out there unless okay, <laughs> unless no. I checked. I thought it was I thought it was longer than that. 
Yeah. Um, because my personal experience, all right, free plug alert again here. When I graduated college in the mid-80s, I came to State College to get a job. I didn't go to Penn State. I came to State College to get a job and did radio for 13 years. And during that time, now this is the 80s through the 90s, Penn State's College of Communications would periodically send some kids over. It was like an internship sort of a thing. And what I remember from those days back then, these kids didn't know anything. They didn't, they didn't know how to turn on a microphone. And I'm thinking, what are they teaching them over there at Penn State? I'm sh I was shocked. I'm thinking, come on, it was all theory. And these kids, essentially, I was training the kids. Now, since that time, since the 2000s, since you've come on board and some other people and so on, I have tremendous respect for the College of Communications. I mean, I've seen your television operation, which I believe, now help me out, it's a weekly show, like a weekly television show. What is that? Uh, the Center County Report is, uh, I, I believe it's weekly, and it, it may be bi-weekly now. Um, but it's covering Center County in Pennsylvania, and they just do an amazing job. Yeah, it's 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 outstanding. I I, I think do they stream that online? They they do stream it online. Okay. Uh, so folks, if you're listening and you want to check out what some outstanding Penn State students are doing, compared to what I remember from 30 years ago, which frankly was awful. Uh, your College of Communications now, I think, is awesome. They're terrific. They do some really great stuff. Now, so you have been involved with photography for, we're going to say, three decades, four decades? Four decades. Okay. Just a general question. How has photography changed in your span of time? You said you started when you were in high school until now. How much has photography changed? Now, there's the obvious film digital. I think most people know that one. What about other things? Or is photography exactly the same as it's always been? Well, I think the basics, the mechanics of photography is very much the same. We're still t talking about exposure, shutter speed, aperture opening, um, ISO, which is the uh, camera sensitivity to, to uh, light or the film sensitivity to light. You know, those things uh, really, the basics haven't changed. What really has changed is, you know, everything has gone digital. Uh, I think for journalism, the, the biggest change has been just how fast things move. Uh, when I started in, in uh, working for a newspaper in 1979, 1980, uh, I would go out and shoot an assignment on a Saturday afternoon. I would come back, I would uh, develop a film, make a print, and it would actually be published on Monday afternoon. We didn't have a Sunday paper and there was no morning paper. Uh, now if I shoot an assignment for uh, a wire service or, or uh, perhaps the Associated Press, they want to see that picture within a half hour or an hour. So the speed at which things have moved is much faster. I think the most obvious thing is the technology. Uh, but has photography changed? Uh, it's still exposure, it's light. Um, I think the speed and, and pretty much the tools that we're using are, are, are what have been the most drastic change. All right, now I'm curious, if you had a preference, film or digital, which one would you prefer and why? Without a doubt, digital. Absolutely without a doubt. Uh, the quality to the point is to the point now with digital cameras that uh, I think they're better than the, the film that I used previously. 
Um, the speed at which you can you can get images out is is so much better. Uh, I think at this point there's just no comparison. John, does anybody shoot film anymore? Uh, yes, <laughs> I think uh, some of the art classes, uh, some some people who are interested in uh, applications for art, I think are still shooting film. Uh, there may be some portrait photographers who are shooting film. I don't know who they would be, but uh, just about everything now, as far as, I live in a world where everything is digital. Uh, I once, uh, uh, I was once talking to a friend about, um, you know, I had found some, some film in the refrigerator and he said, uh, you know, that's, that's in about as much demand as a buggy whip. <laughs> but somebody's, they're still making film, so somebody's uh, still out there using it. I mean, uh, yeah. from, put it this way, compare the two, not from a speed thing, but the look. Is film and digital, are they exactly the same now, or is there still a difference? Actually, I think digital sharper. Uh, now, defi okay, define sharper. Sharper, uh, clearer, uh, sharper, uh, better definition. You know, I, I just truly believe that, that uh, digital is to the point now that it's much better than film. Now, uh, it, you know, 20 years ago using uh, Kodak, Kodachrome or something like that, that was kind of the standard and that was what you wanted to use. It, it gave you incredible color and it was very sharp and it was very stable. You know, that's, um, you know, that was the choice. But I think now we've just gotten to the point where just about every publication, and I, I really can't talk too much about portrait photography as far as working in a studio or something like that, but um, you know, everything in, in, um, that I'm involved with in publishing is all digital. Publishing, journalism. Yeah. Journalism, We'll get back to more with John Beale from Penn State University on smartphone usage with our yearbook work. And he's going to start to get into, you know, some of the nitty gritty on some ideas and things to do. So get ready. That's coming up in just a bit. Now, again, perhaps you're listening here before Christmas. Perhaps you're listening here after Christmas. Either way, it's the end of the calendar year. And here comes 2020 already. Wow. Starts just shortly or depending on when you're listening, maybe it's started already. This is probably prime time for a yearbook advisor and yearbook staff to just, just take a day, maybe a couple of days, and just kind of assess where are we right now. Now, hopefully you made all your very thorough plans back when the school year started, even, even uh, over the summer perhaps. But now, of course, several months have gone by. Maybe some things have changed. Maybe some things have happened. Now is the appropriate time to say, okay, where are we right now? Where do we want to go? Roughly speaking, we're about halfway through the school year. Uh, the interesting calendar this year, January 1st, falls on a Wednesday. Now, as far as most schools I work with are concerned, they do have school January 2 and 3. Not everybody. Some folks don't go back till January 6th or went back on the 6th. And that January 2, 3, 6 part, that's a perfect time to do some reassessments. Sit down with your page ladder. Is everything fine? Has something changed? Do we need to add something? In some cases, do we need to take something out? Maybe some event that just didn't happen this year. Uh, what about our assignments for January? Sports games, activities, the start of the second semester, that sort of stuff. This is the perfect time to take some time, maybe a day, again, maybe two days, 
Maybe don't do any other yearbook at work at all. Just figure out, okay, what are we going to do now? How are we going to reassess? What's the plan now for the rest of the year? This is the perfect time to do that. So if you haven't thought about that, please think about it now because some changes and some uh, planning now may cause you far fewer headaches maybe in February or March when, oh, we didn't even think of that. Well, you should have thought about that back around New Year's. This is the time. So hopefully get together and do some good planning. Now, smartphone usage. You're ready to take some notes. Let's get back to our friend John Beal. Now again, primarily we want to talk here about smartphones because first off, everybody has one in their pocket. Everybody's taking pictures. Now again, in my world, this is primarily the yearbooking world, but it could be student newspaper and some things like that. Um, most yearbook staffs at least have an SLR camera, single lens reflex camera. At least, hopefully they have at least one. So from your experience, now let's compare sort of, a, we'll call it a standard SLR camera and a smartphone. Com right now with the technology we have as we're speaking right now, how do those two compare? Well, they both make pictures. Very good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can move the pictures a lot faster if you want to get them to somebody if it's from your, from your smartphone. Uh, I don't see smartphones replacing the DSLR anytime soon for professional photographers. But I do think that uh, smartphones have certainly earned their place in the landscape of photography. There are a number of publications that are using it, uh, broadcast outlets that are using it for certain applications. I think the quality now is to the point where I would not hesitate to use it for a yearbook or I would not hesitate to use it for a newspaper or a, a, a video clip for a broadcast. Uh, but uh, I just there are certain applications where it works, and there are some sometimes where it's just not the best choice. For instance, would be sports. You're not going to want to use a uh, a cell phone for shooting sports. Uh, the uh, the zoom and and uh, the, the number of frames per second, things like that, uh, the size of the frames. I just don't think they're going to work as well for sports as what the DSLR is going to, uh, at least at this point. But uh, for just everyday a feature picture, uh, photographing um, a breaking news to get something out quickly, you know, I think that's, that's a pretty good choice. Now, a lot of publications now, newspapers uh, especially, and websites, of course, I, I refer to newspapers, but really I think we're talking mostly about websites now. Uh, you know, the photographer will arrive in the scene, get a picture with the phone, send it out, you know, get it on the website very quickly, and then pull out the DSLR and, and uh, begin shooting with that. So I, I think it's certainly earned its place in the, uh, in the photographic web, uh, the, the landscape. So you mentioned speed, and I guess so much of the world of journalism now is predicated on speed. Getting things uh -huh. out too sweet, fast, fast, right? It is, it's speed. Uh, it's speed and accuracy. And one of the things that is really difficult to to, uh, to think about is not only getting it out quickly, but getting the facts right. You know, making sure that whatever information is going to go with it is going to be correct. You know, we don't want to sacrifice accuracy for speed, but the, uh, the immediacy of the phone, uh, that is what has really made it appealing to a lot of publications, a lot of websites. All right, now let's talk about using a smartphone for this sort of thing, because you teach a course in this, 
and uh, you've got some great tips and ideas which we're going to share. Let's mention for folks listening to our podcast, we have our accompanying video on YouTube, which is called The Yearbooking Report, and so you'll be able to see John on there, and we'll talk about some highlights, and we'll share some clips and tips and, and some things like that. Let's start with this one, and, and we talked about this right before we started the interview. Some people would call it horizontal versus vertical. Some people would call it portrait versus landscape. Maybe those are old terms now, portrait and landscape now. If I'm using a phone, John, and I'm taking pictures for the yearbook, does it matter which of those I do, portrait, landscape, horizontal, vertical, what should I do? I think that decision would depend mostly on your layout as opposed to uh, anything else. You know, when we're talking about video, then it, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit different. Um, for publication, well, for broadcast, you know, I would always say horizontal. And, and the only reason why I say that is uh, then it could be used for television broadcast as well. Now, a lot of people now are saying that the video should be vertical because the handheld devices are all going to be viewed vertically. But as far as uh, taking a still image for a yearbook, I really don't think it makes a difference. It's going to depend on how you're publishing it. Okay. And so, social media has become quite the driver. Social media, yes. Uh, you know, social media, I, I would say you want to make it vertical. Uh, the, <laughs> the old man in me says, no, no, <laughs> not that. But I think you're right. I guess most people, are there statistics on this? Let's stick with video. Just look, you know, people love watching videos. Do most people watch them on their phones now, not on their televisions? I believe they do. At least uh, younger generations uh, are, are using the phone. And uh, the, if you're going to be looking at a phone vertically, you don't want to have to turn your phone sideways in order to look at a horizontal video. Uh, if it's going to be something that could be used and broadcast as well on television, then you know, do you want to hold it vertically, if you know that, and then have the letterboxing over the side Two sides, yeah. on both sides? So uh, I think that's still a point of discussion, but I think that uh, most people at this point, if it's social media, they want it vertical. I'm not sold yet, but okay. <laughs> I'm just not sold on that yet. All right, now let's go back to just photography. And I know you've got a lot mm -hmm. of tips, you know, uh, about... And I'm thinking about school students, all the camera they have is their phone, but we want them to go out and take great pictures. What are some quick, simple, easy tips that maybe get overlooked when it comes to using your smartphone to take pictures? I think the first is uh, make sure you're shooting at the highest resolution. You know, make sure that you are not shooting at a, a smaller resolution that uh, it's going to be too small for you to, to, uh, to publish and look well. One of the most important is stand close to your subjects. You know, by standing close to your subject, I always tell my students, zoom with your feet rather than with the camera. If you pinch to zoom, to zoom in from the camera, you're also magnifying the shake. And so I think that you're going to be much further ahead by moving close in. Try to fill the frame as much as you can. You know, consider what is in the foreground of the picture, consider what is in the background. Is what's in the foreground to going to add or detract from the picture? I once uh, heard that uh, in photography, you want to compose for the background. You know, of course, we're interested in the subject. We want to know 
that we, we've captured that moment with the subject, but also we have to be very cognizant of what's happening in the background. Is there a tree coming out of their head? Is there a lamp coming out of their head? Is there a bright light that is going to draw the viewer's eyes to that rather than our subject? Uh, we won't want to put somebody in front of a, a bright window, you know, and, and uh, you know, try to, uh, you know, try to make a picture and they end up like a silhouette and we won't understand why. Yeah, let me so. accentuate that one because that's one a lot of people break. They'll mm -hmm. put somebody in front of a big window on a bright sunny day and the picture looks terrible. Um, and again, John, now very, for folks who don't understand, why does that happen? What's the problem? Well, if you're using, uh, if you're using the uh, cell phone, the iPhone uh, on automatic exposure, it doesn't know what your subject is. All it sees is a bunch of light coming in. And so it doesn't know that it's, you know, the person standing there with the, the baseball, the, the basketball or the football is what you want uh, everyone to see. And so if you're not adjusting the, uh, the exposure for that subject by touching on it and sliding up or sliding down, then uh, you might end up with a silhouette that you don't want. And so um, you got, just gotta really consider the background. The other thing is, if you're going to use the flash on the phone, you don't wanna have them in front of glass. You don't wanna have them in front of mirror or else you're gonna end up with this large, you know, uh, poof. Yeah, large poof. <laughs> it, it, it's going to be very distracting. It's going to ruin the image. Okay. Uh, some, how about some other tips? Um, hold the camera steady by locking your arms together. Okay. Now what, know, does that, what does that mean? Well, if uh, I'll, I'll see a lot of people who are holding their their phone out here, out in front of them, uh, out in front of them, and it's really difficult to be steady whenever you're holding the camera out here. But if you have your arms next to your body and you're holding it like this, you can be much more steady. In fact, a lot of times whenever I'm shooting, uh, especially if I'm shooting video and also stills, if it's, if it's not very bright, if I'm in low light, you know, I'll go over and I'll actually lean against a wall with a phone. And that way I can steady it. Or I'll kneel down and I'll get behind a chair and hold it on the top of the chair just to steady it. Uh, keeping the camera steady, keeping the camera level really makes a difference. Okay. Now, you mentioned Zoom earlier, and I think a lot of folks maybe don't quite understand the mm -hmm. difference between optical Zoom and digital Zoom. Now, I've got a phone, and sometimes I'll do the little pinch thing, and the little Zoom bar comes up, and I'll zoom in. That is not an optical Zoom, am I correct? Well, I think it depends on the phone, because now the, the newer iPhones have different lenses. And so, as you zoom in, it will actually, uh, the lens will actually magnify what you're looking at. Uh, some, of the, uh, some of the older phones, they had one lens and it was going to give you an image and if you pinched it and enlarged it, it was only going to enlarge the same number of pixels that you would have had in the full frame. So it might look like it's a bigger image or it's been magnified with, with the lens, but actually you've just enlarged a section of the uh, the image you were looking at previously. Yeah. Okay. So depending on your phone, I guess the new 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 phones as we record this have two lenses, three lenses, and those are all optical. I mean, what's when I when, well, for, for folks who don't understand what an optical zoom is, what is that? Okay, an optical zoom is the uh, scene is magnified by the lens. A digital, it is uh, the the area of the photograph is enlarged rather than actually the lens uh, magnifying it.
So it's a fake Zoom. Fake? I, I, yeah, it, it's still... Uh, it's still, it's enlarging an area of the frame as opposed to zooming in. We'll get back to our final segment with John Beal, instructor at Penn State University on good mobile device usage, how we can use that more actively with our yearbooking efforts. We'll get back to that wrap up in just a bit. Now, we're going to record this. Of course, we did record this before Christmas. So even if you're listening to this after Christmas, maybe call this a pep talk of sorts. You know, when we get to this time of year, especially, of course, the nights are very long. It's dark most of the time now. Uh, here in the uh, East Coast, of course, it gets dark you know, roughly around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And then the sun really doesn't come up until maybe 7 a.m. or even later uh, the next morning, a lot of darkness. We've heard, you know, things about uh, some syndromes that people go through because it's so dark. And, you know, depending on where you live, maybe it's kind of cold and the weather's kind of depressing. Yeah, it's that time of year, right? Now, the good news is now that we're past the winter solstice, that means days start to get longer. So there's something to look forward to. But let me give you a bit of a pecked off of sorts. If you haven't thought about this lately, why do we do a yearbook? Well, of course, we do it for memories. We do it to remember what happened this school year. Again, young people, my total experience, young people have no concept of this. They're only 17, 16, 15 years old, really haven't been on the planet that long. And so memory keeping, yeah, okay, fine. They're not thinking 30, 40, even 50 years down the road when all of a sudden this yearbook is worth its weight in gold. Truly literally. I have seen some older folks somehow they didn't get a yearbook or tragically they lost their book in a fire or a flood or something like that and they so desperately want to get a copy. I think in some cases they would literally pay hundreds of dollars to get another copy of their say high school yearbook. Literally they would because they know at that point it's that important. So as you do some reassessing here, as the calendar changes to 2020, I want you to think about that. All right, think about, you know, what do we want people to remember 20, 30, 40 years from now? And really kind of let it sink in. Hey, we're really working on a really important project here. We have got to give it our absolute best effort. Terrific pictures. Yes, some writing to go along with it really cool page designing. Make a book that people really are going to enjoy reading and then are going to tuck it under their arm, they're going to take it home, and they're going to cherish it literally for the rest of their lives. For advisors listening, kind of find a way to imprint that on your student staffers because I think a lot of students still, even veterans in some cases, veteran students, they don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't understand just how important this project really is. I try to impart that every chance I get, but advisors, if you're listening, let's do it together because it's that important. All right, now just a few more tips and some interesting ideas on smartphone usage from our friend John Beal. All right, how about some more tips? I think you got some more on your list there. Uh, if we're going to talk about, I, I know for the most part, uh, you're talking about still photography. Uh, for still photography and video, if you can stay away from contrasty light with the cell phones, you're going to be much further ahead. 
if you put your subject out in bright sunlight, we'd never want to put our subject in bright sun sunlight anyway because they're going to be squinting. You know, they probably end up with ra those little dark circles, right. raccoon Outside, eyes, sunny right? Day, that sort of you thing. know. Uh, Photographing in bright sunlight, I'll go out and I'll, people will tell me, boy, it's a great day for photography. I'm saying, well, you know, not so really, not for photographing people, you know. So, you know, rather than, if you're doing a portrait, rather than shooting a photo of them, you know, making the photograph in bright sunlight, take them over in the shade. And uh, the light's going to be more even. Uh, they're not going to be squinting. It's going to be much more pleasant. So staying away from the really bright, contrasty sunlight uh, can be very helpful. So a cloudy day, cloudy day is, a is good gray. day. Cloudy day is good day. I mean, not an ugly gray, rainy, uh, just a yeah. regular cloudy day. You don't have that problem. Cloudy day is nice. Cloudy day is for, nice. for photographing people. So, <laughs> yes. All right. All right. What else? Uh, consider uh, the the light that you're photographing in. Uh, our brains are amazing. If we go inside and we're under fluorescent light and we look at a white sheet of paper, it looks white. If we take that same white sheet of paper outside in sunlight, it still looks white. But cameras don't always see it that way. And, and the cameras are very good at correcting for white balance. But where we really run into a problem is if you have multiple light sources. So if I have my subject next to a window, but there's also artificial light inside, uh, incandescent or, or fluorescent, and the camera picks up the bright, this sunlight, or the uh, sunlight, daylight is coming in through the window, we have the artificial light over here, I might end up with a color tint in my subject because the light, the color of the light that is emitted by uh, various bulbs is not the same as, as daylight. Now there are some bulbs that are daylight. There are some bulbs that are around 5,000 Kelvin, 5,500 Kelvin, which is daylight. But uh, that's something you really have to worry about. You have to watch. And I'll see that a lot with uh, photos from beginners and students where they might have somebody near a door or near a window in the front of a classroom or a building and there is uh, fluorescent lighting inside and the color of the subject will be fine, but the background will be all green or will be all yellow. So considering the area that you're going to be photographing in and trying to keep your subject under one light source is very helpful. I think a lot of veteran yearbook advisors, they think yellow and they think a lot of lighting in school gymnasiums is mm. terrible. It is. I see that yellow far too often. And so that's what you're sort of talking about there, the kind of lighting and so If you touch on your subject, you're going to be telling the camera, you know, touch with your finger on the screen, you're going to be telling your camera, okay, I want this to be in focus, and I want the color correction to be for this part of the frame. But what's going to happen is the background, if it's fluorescent light, it may be yellow. Uh, if, if, if it's fluorescent light, it may be green. Uh, some fluorescent tubes are also be yellow, but if it's incandescent light, it's probably going to be yellow. So by sometimes it's worthwhile if you're going to photograph someone is to turn out the room lights and just have them next to a window so that you only have one source of light. Uh, our brains are amazing things. You know, we look at a white sheet of paper inside a room and it's under fluorescent light like we're in here and it looks white. And we go outside in daylight, we look at that same sheet of paper, it looks white, but the camera doesn't always see it that way. And we, uh, we have to be uh, considering that whenever we make the picture. All right, now let's talk about 
coloring and images uh, and changes and so on. And the thought of manipulating an image, all right? I've taken a picture and I want to, for some reason, I want to do something with it, fancy schmancy. I run into this a lot of times with school kids. They'll take a picture, they've got their phone, they've got who knows how many photo apps on their phone, and they decide they want to do something. I'm going to give this guy a suntan. I'm going to, I'm going to do stuff like that. Now, John, from your perspective uh, as an instructor and a professional, should they be doing that sort of thing? You know, doctoring images to make somebody look better or different or something? I think it depends on the application. I, I live in a world of journalism. In journalism, we don't make those changes. Uh, in journalism, you want to look at that picture that's being submitted for publication and say, that's a true representation of what I saw through the camera. If you make a change to it, you know, we would never want to um, add something to the picture or take something away. Now, if you're using a DSLR and it's a dust spot, that's acceptable. But uh, changing, uh, making drastic changes to the color, if you look at that picture that you're submitting and you say, that isn't how it looked through the, uh, through the viewfinder, then it becomes a visual lie. Okay, I agree with that, yeah. I've got some kids over the years, they, they want to do a little too much. And I'm like, whoa, 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 you're, you're, you've changed the picture now. And again, you mm -hmm. said from a journalism point of view, if we do that, now it's not really what happened, right? If it's advertising, it's a different set of rules. You know, it, sometimes, you know, with advertising, there are going to be changes made to the picture. Uh, but in journalism, you want it to be, you want people to look at that picture and say, yeah, that's, that's what it looked like. They have to believe what they see. And I think we really have a crisis with, with journalism now because people know that anyone can go out and, and buy uh, uh, photo manipulation software for $69 and they can put my head on your body. Uh, and it might be relatively seamless. Uh, so, you know, we have to really uh, keep that in mind with what we're putting out there. But it, it, it really depends on, on the application. Journalism, we don't make those changes. Sometimes referred to as fake news, I suppose. That would be fake news. Your head on my body, that scares me. Uh, okay. right. we're, not, we're not going that route, all right, buddy? No, no, no. But since we're thinking about that, smartphones, I mean, my goodness, there must be a thousand photo apps of various kinds out there. Now, don't suggest a thousand, but I know that there are some that you really like. What are some apps that would be really useful for a yearbook person or a student journalist? I think probably uh, the one that I would recommend is called Pro Camera. Uh, there, you know, it, it, it allows you to set a shutter speed, it allows you to set an ISO, uh, it's not really expensive and I think it's really helpful. The, uh, you know, the, the photo app, the camera app that's in the phones, I think it's very good. And you know, for a lot of the applications, that's fine. But if you want to make sure that you're going to have a fast enough shutter speed to stop some action. Once again, we're not going to use this for sports, but you know, maybe it's uh, people dancing or something like that or, or outside playing basketball, um, you know, just a pickup game and you can get close to them. You know, I think Pro Camera is a good choice, and, and you can actually, uh, you have some control uh, over how the camera is going to make the picture. Okay, any other apps that are kind of interesting to you? Uh, you had one about lighting. Uh, there, there is one called Light Meter, and I also use that one. I have, a, I have a lot of different apps on my phone. Light Meter, the thing I like about it is you can hold it up to a light and it will tell you what color temperature it is. 
And so if I'm using my DSLR and I want to balance the, the, the flash that I'm putting in by putting a filter over the flash, getting pretty complicated here, you know, I can tell what Kelvin those lights are, the, what Kelvin rating the lights are in the room so that I can match uh, my, my uh, flash to it. Now, I only mention that one because in my experience, most yearbook kids especially, but even a lot of advisors, pay little to no attention to lighting. They're just out there, snap, 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 snap. No attention at all. It sounds like light meter maybe would help me get, okay, I've got a good lighting situation or maybe I've got a bad one. Is that essentially right? I think it would, it would help you with that. Uh, at least you'd be able to see if it's, a, if, if it's going to give you a slow shutter speed, if it's going to give you a shutter speed that is so slow that uh, you're going to end up with blur just from holding the, the camera or holding the phone, you know, I guess that would be, uh, it would be helpful. But one of the things you can do is, uh, you know, a student can go out in most, uh, most situations, they can take a photo at whatever shutter speed the camera is giving them and then take a look at it and, you know, maybe even pinch it to look at it to make sure it's actually sharp and see whether it's going to be acceptable. Uh, you know, if, if they are using Pro Camera, then they could raise the ISO a little bit and hopefully uh, raise, the, raise the shutter speed, increase the shutter speed a little bit so that they uh, were able to freeze the action or at least be able to hold the camera still. Now, usage of smartphones. You mentioned, you mentioned ISO, shutter speed, mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. Um, go ahead. I should know this, and I really don't. Can you change those with a phone so that it's more like an SLR, or is everything with a phone pretty much on automatic? I think uh, the camera apps that come with a phone are pretty much automatic. But if you take an app like uh, Pro Camera, then you do have a little bit more control. And so if you want to really advance with photography and, and you're thinking about maybe improving your, your uh, your images with a phone, it's something to consider and it's not a it's not a very expensive app. Now to be fair, we're not trying to do a free commercial for Pro Camera. Okay. I, there are there are plenty of other apps out there. You yes. like that one. Mm -hmm. But the idea is and I think you hit it, if we just use the automatic camera app in my iPhone or something, mm -hmm. everything seems to be automatic. I mm -hmm. can't really change much of anything. Mm -hmm. But if I get one of these other apps where I can manipulate and change some of the settings you think that that's a good thing to do because now I can get a better balance of things. It gives you control and and I wish I could keep up with all the camera apps. I mean there are, there are so many things that are being developed it's it's incredible and, and if anyone has an app that they use that is that is uh, that is better I'd be interested in hearing about it because I'm, I'm always interested in looking at those things but uh, you know anything that gives the photographer control so that you're not completely losing control as to shutter speed and uh, you know ISO uh, sensitivity of the camera I think that's helpful. Well folks if you're listening you want to sound off send me a note I'll send it on to John if there's some other app out there but one more question John all right I want you to grab your crystal ball kind of pull it out uh, I'm wondering about the, f hmm. the future I mean for instance uh, I think is it maybe some of your students do this they can pretty much do everything on their phone take pictures, take video, do the production, do the post-production, the whole nine yards. Sure. Am, am I correct? Oh, without that. Uh, that's stunning to me. Now, somebody who grew up in the 80s and 90s and learned back then with big bulky equipment and tape machines and all this other stuff, the fact that you can do the whole shindig on your phone now? I mean, really, you can do everything. It's the Gutenberg Press. It's the it's current day. You, you know, you, you, you are a publisher. 
uh, you no longer need to have a publication to put your stuff out. You know, you, your, your creative work out. You can take the photos, uh, you can write the story on the phone, you can do, shoot video, you can edit it on your phone, uh, you can put it online. Uh, in addition, if you're a reporter, you can uh, use the phone to take notes, not only writing notes, but you know, good stories have really good descriptions. So you go into uh, a room and you're writing something about this person, you take a couple photos of the, of the room just to, so that you can, you can give that really rich description as to what's going on. So the phone has really changed the way we do journalism. Digital uh, camera, phone, laptops, all right? You, you, you have your, here as we do this interview here, I've got essentially the same kind of machine. And I do pretty much everything here on the your booking report. I do it right on my computer. Twenty years ago, I couldn't have done that. So, I'm twenty years from now, John. What are we going to have? I mean, I, I can't fathom what we're going to have in the future. What what could we have? What could they do better? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help. However, whatever it is, I want to be open to it. I think that's the most important thing. And I think if we embrace technology, if we consider technology is, is, um, is moving forward and, and not try to stand still and, and stay away from it, uh, kind of dig our heels in, I think that's a good thing. And that's the great thing about working with students because students, uh, they live in a world where everything's their phone. And, um, you know, I, sometimes that can be bad, in, you know, if it's a constant distraction, if they're constantly, uh, you know, Snapchatting with friends and, and texting and, and things like that. Uh, but for the most part, the technology really is, is fabulous as far as the communications industry. John, this was fun. I'm glad I was able to catch up with you. Those were some really great tips and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Scott. Another thank you again to our friend John Beal, Associate Professor at Penn State University. So much experience that he's had over the decades. I tell you what, I would love to sit in on that college course he teaches on smartphone usage. That would be pretty cool. Maybe every yearbook person should have to go through this because, let's face it, everybody pretty much has one of these in their pocket now, right? Or for those schools maybe where every kid gets an iPad and you're using various apps and such with that. All right, same thing going there. Let's put these great gadgets and gizmos to work for our yearbooking efforts. Maybe not just taking pictures, yes. Maybe not just doing some writing, yes. Maybe some other kind of special app usage. Think about promotion, think about social media, uh, think about all those different things that you can use a smartphone or a tablet for. And let's find ways to use these just tremendous items that we've been bestowed with. All right, let's put them to good work. Get your money's worth out of them. Folks, hopefully you got a great list of tips and ideas from our interview this time around. And we appreciate you listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast.